The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, we're going to finish a series we started uh, at the beginning of December called The Gifts of Christmas Today. And uh, I intended on preaching this message at the beginning of this series, and I'm excited to preach it today. We focused on these gifts and these ideas of joy and love and hope. And today, I want to end our series on the gifts of Christmas, focusing on this idea of peace. I want to talk about peace this morning. Well, I hope you've had a good Christmas season. One of the things that we always do as a staff here at Story City Church, we, I like to give our staff time off during the Christmas season. It's been a busy season for us as we're looking to launch a, a second campus. And uh, so this year has been an extended time off because of how Christmas and New Year's work. And so I've enjoyed my time off. I, I just talked to a couple of you guys in the lobby. You've been a, away seeing family. It's just good to get away and do things. And so my family, we went ice skating in Santa Monica this week. Um, we've driven out of town. We were going to drive to Solvang, but there was three feet of snow on the path. So we decided not to go there. I just love downtime. But one of the things about downtime is when, when you're not in the regular rhythm and routine of the busyness of life, is a lot of times I find myself on, uh, on social media. In fact, more time on social media than I normally do. Anybody do the same thing? Like you're off and so you got plenty of time. You pull out your phone, you're looking at Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to see what everybody else in the world is up to. And um, I, I, I don't know, I, the older I get, the less I, I'm on social media, the less I want to be around. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because when I look at social media, especially this time of the year when there's more downtime and I'm looking at it more than I usually do, I see all these people who just have it together. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I just, there's a part of me that is, is a little annoyed by seeing people who have it all together. Between Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I probably have 15, 20,000 friends, so-called friends. I don't know hardly any of them on social media, but I watch these people who have it all together. You know what I'm talking about? Like nothing is disjointed. There's all this harmony. There's all this well-being. I, I don't know. There's a part of me that just gets annoyed by seeing all these people that have it together. The Bible calls that peace. The Bible calls that peace. As a pastor, though, one of the reasons why I find it just slightly annoying, and if you have it all together, praise God for you. You're amazing. But <laughs> as a pastor, one of the reasons why I find it so difficult to see people who have it all together is that I probably encounter more people who don't have it together than people who do. I, I encounter more people who are on their last leg, who are hanging by a thread, who, who are at the very end, who are medicating to get it all through. I probably know more people who don't have peace than I do people who do have peace. And what's interesting about that, it seems contradictory to what Christians believe, right? Because the Bible talks so much about this idea of peace. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Bible gives us this picture of this congregation of angels who are on the outskirts of the city and they're singing this song to the shepherds that we sing in church every single year at this time of the year. It's played on so many radio stations this time of the year. And usually when this song is sung, it's hardly ever analyzed. It's hardly ever looked at by a lot of believers, especially. And the angels sang this song, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, 
peace. Goodwill toward men. I mean, even those people who don't go to church very frequently, if you don't attend church regularly, you, you, have, you know this verse, you've sang this song. I wonder, why, hasn't people, why haven't people gone, peace, peace? I mean, can there really be peace on earth? Where is the peace? It's been 2,000 years since this was proclaimed. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus was born. Did Jesus make a proclamation? Did the angels make a proclamation of peace on earth that has not or will not ever be fulfilled. Doesn't it seem like peace eludes us in this world? 1967, just a few months before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he opened his Christmas Eve sermon on the subject of peace, and he began with these words. This Christmas season finds us a rather bewildered human race. We have neither peace within nor peace without. Can you resonate with Martin Luther King Jr.'s words this Christmas season? Maybe you can resonate with the picture that we uh, saw on a bookstore recently. Please note, the post-apocalyptical, sorry, I'm a speaker for a living. The post-apocalyptical fiction section has been moved to current affairs. Doesn't that seem true? <laughs> Maybe you can resonate with that. Seems like peace has eluded us. Yet 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah makes this prophecy. He makes this pronouncement about the king who would come, the Messiah who would be born. And we see it in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. The prophet Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 9 is looking forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, if you will. Shalom is the word we find in the Old Testament for peace. Isaiah is looking forward to the reign of the prince of peace where peace will never have an end. Yet here we are 2,000 years later after the fulfillment of that prophecy has come true. And have we ever stopped to say, peace, peace, where is peace? Was Jesus like every other world leader who's promised peace and cannot fulfillment? Or is there something about this idea of peace. Well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the source of peace. That Jesus is the source of peace, and maybe you don't believe that this morning, and maybe you're having difficulty finding peace in your life, but I want us to see that Jesus is the source of peace. I want to read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 one more time. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. The Bible is abundantly clear. When Jesus comes to the world, peace is going to come 
with him. When Jesus comes, peace is going to come with him. There's two types of peace that Jesus brings with him that every human who has ever lived needs to experience and can experience. There's two types of peace that Jesus brings that all of us need to experience. The first peace that every human can experience is peace with God, and I'm going to talk about this this morning. The second type of peace that every human who has ever lived that needs to experience and can experience is the peace of God. Now listen, peace with God is a judicial type of peace. Bear with me for a moment. Peace with God is a judicial type of peace. It basically means to the believer that the war with God is over. Now peace of God is an experiential type of peace. In essence, it describes a believer's day-by-day-by-day experience of peace, which, by the way, which, by the way, can be sacrificed. You can have peace with God, but maybe not have the peace of God. You know this to be true. Maybe you're a believer this morning and you're struggling even though you're saved and you've trusted Jesus. You have peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God. There was an illustration, there was a true story on CNN.com two years ago of the post-World War II Japanese soldier. I can't pronounce his name, but he was sent to the Philippines, to the jungles of the Philippines as a spy in World War II. And the article goes on to say that he spent 29 years in the jungles of the Philippines because he never heard that a peace treaty had been reached between Japan and the United States. There was peace, but he had no peace for 29 years. Peace experientially must be preceded by peace judicially. Let me explain that this morning. Peace experientially must be preceded by peace judicially. In other words, you cannot experience the true peace of God unless you have peace with God. You cannot experience the true peace of God unless you have peace with God. So can I ask the question this morning? How can I, Pastor Matt, experience peace with God? Romans chapter 5, verse 1, gives us great instruction. Romans 5, 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified, big word, important term in all of the Bible, therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before somebody can be at peace with God, before somebody trusts their life, to Jesus before someone is saved, as the Bible says. This is how the Bible describes that person. Listen to what the Bible says. This is a person who's never given their life to Jesus. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, listen to what the Bible says, far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he himself is our, what is the word? Peace, who has made the two groups one, And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of, what does he say? Hostility. The dividing wall of hostility. The Bible says a person who has never trusted Christ, there are two things about them. They're far from God, and there's hostility between them and God. 
But when a person trusts their life to Jesus, when they come to Jesus and he forgives them of their sin, when they place the weight of their soul onto the cross of Jesus, the Bible says in Romans 5.1, that person is justified. A big term, a legal term. It's a legal term that you would find in a book that talks about law. It's a word that you would find in court jurisdiction. In essence, justified means this. Once and for all. Do you know in the U.S. if you are tried for a crime and you are declared innocent, you can no longer be tried again for the same crime. This is what Paul is saying here. When you come to faith in Christ, when you trust Christ with your sins, when you are saved, Paul says there is a legal declaration of innocence and you can no longer be tried for the same sins in your life. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are declared innocent. Listen to what Paul says, once and for all. And then Paul goes on to say, once you have been declared innocent, the aftermath of your justification before God, listen to what he says, is peace with God. I have this app on my phone, and every day I uh, get a notification of people who do not have peace. Uh, it's called the Ring app. Anybody have a ring on their front door? I have it as my doorbell. Um, it tells me when people walk in my yard, if you ever come to my house, to TP my house, I will have a record of it. I know who you are. I will find you, and I will demonstrate the wrath of God against you. But I have the Ring app, and I can see if you ever come in my house. And so what happens is the Ring app has all of these notifications. Neighbors can talk about, hey, somebody did this, somebody did that. And so every day I get these notifications. Someone stole my packages. Have you got another? Does anybody have this app, by the way? You, it's a bit annoying. Someone stole my packages, or, or they will uh, put on this, this app. Uh, somebody broke into my car. And then occasionally I get this notification. Someone will post, hey, does anybody know what's going on with the helicopters above so-and-so street and so-and-so street? I get these notifications all the time. In fact, it happened last night at our house. My wife opened up the door and literally went out into the front yard to see what was going on with the helicopters above us. Here's the deal. Every single day, you understand this to be true if you live in LA. I know we have some visitors from out of town today. Every single day in our city, there are helicopters swirling our city. Why? Because someone is running from the cops. <laughs> Why are they running from the cops? Because they're on the wrong side of the law and peace. You don't run from the cops when you're at peace with the law. Romans chapter 5 tells us the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. The punisher already set the punishment and he directed it towards Jesus. The punishment for your sins, listen to me, is not directed towards you. It's directed towards Jesus. Now, some of us don't like that concept in scripture, but we have to rip pages out of our Bible not to believe it. But the reality is the punishment was set towards Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross what Jesus did when he came out of the grave is that Jesus brought finality to your sin. 
you ultimately cannot be punished again for your sin when Jesus legally declares you innocent once and for all. There's two words in the Bible that describe this idea of peace. There's an Old Testament word. That word is called shalom. There's a New Testament word that describes peace. That word is called irene. To bring shalom means to complete or to restore something to wholeness. In other words, we see in the Old Testament, Solomon brought shalom to the unfinished temple when Solomon completes the temple. On Thanksgiving break, we were renting this home near Sedona, and my kids were playing in the backyard, and one of my kids threw something, I don't know what it was, but he threw something and broke the next door neighbor's window. And so, and so just this week, we finally shalomed that neighbor by completely paying and restoring what was broken and lost. When you understand the two words in the Bible, Shalom, Old Testament, Irene, New Testament, when you understand these words biblically, you understand peace is not the absence of conflict and fear. Now bear with me for a moment. Because if you read Webster's today, you will think that the definition of peace is when everything in life is going right, when there's no conflict, when there's no fear in your life. But biblically, when we understand these two words, peace means something is in a state of wholeness or completeness. What God did on the cross, what God did in the resurrection from the grave, is that God restored to wholeness the broken relationship that humanity had with their creator. And so what sin had broken, and you may have never thought of life being broken before, but you see it every single day. What sin had broken, what sin had caused us to be separated from God. Jesus died on the cross so that sin could be wiped clean. And listen to me, you can have Peace with God. Peace with God is the most basic human need. And peace with God is the cornerstone that every other peace in life is built on. So objectively, if you're a believer this morning, your, your sins have been forgiven, can never be counted against you. Objectively this morning, you are at peace with God. The war between you and God is over. There's been a peace treaty that's been signed between you and God. And that peace treaty was signed in the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, Listen to me, because of what Jesus did, you, if you're a believer this morning, you can be secure, you can be sure, you can be assured, what? That God loves you. You can be assured that his love will never change towards you. You can be assured, secure, knowing that you are a child of God and nothing can change it. Here's why you need to hear this this morning. Here's why you need to hear this this morning, because some of you this morning have peace with God, but you don't have the peace of God. And all of us as believers can find ourselves at times in our lives 
having peace with God, but not having the peace of God. And almost always not having the peace of God is related to rebellion and sin in our life. Now, you may not describe it that severely, but that's how the Bible describes it. Here's why you need to hear why peace with God is important. Because in your time of rebellion and sin, and again, you may not think of it that severely, but that's how the Bible describes it. In your time of rebellion and sin, your peace with God means you don't have to run from God. You can run to God. Why, Pastor Matt? Because he's taken the punishment already. You can't be punished again for your sin. You don't have to hide from God. That's what we saw in the garden. That's what we saw between Adam and Eve. They sinned. They brought sin to the world. And what did they do? They hid from God. And what did God do? He went and found them. And not only did he find them, but he covered their shame and their nakedness and their sin with clothes. Listen, this is why you need to hear this this morning. When you run from Jesus in your sin and rebellion, and you, you may call it something different. You may call it your pride. You may, be, you may call it trying to get security in life. You may call it something different. The Bible calls it sin and rebellion. When you run from Jesus in your sin and rebellion, the Bible tells us you're going to bear the guilt and the shame. But when you run to Jesus in your sin and rebellion, he bears the guilt and the shame. Listen to me, believer. You have peace with God. Nothing can change that. And if you have peace with God, you have the privilege and the access to experience the peace of God. If the, peace, if the God of the universe is at peace with you, listen, you can experience the peace of God. You can experience wholeness. You can experience completeness. You can experience harmony with others. You don't have to live in bondage to everything the world says you need. <clears throat> you can have the peace of God. Every single day there are Christians walking around that have the, the peace with God, but they don't have the peace of God. And so can I ask the second question in the sermon this morning? The first was, how can we have peace with God? The second question is, how can we have the peace of God? Well, if you believe culture, if you believe culture's definition, if you read Webster's or, or, or whatever book describes words for us, peace happens, according to Webster's, when there is freedom from disturbance. That's the literal definition in Webster's. You can have peace when you have freedom from disturbance in your life. In other words, the layman's terms are when everything goes right in life. When, when you have no physical problems, when you have no material problems, when you have no financial problems, when you have no relational problems, you can then experience peace. But can I say to you, there are people who don't have financial problems today. There are people who don't have physical problems today. There are people who don't have material problems today, and they still don't have peace. The absence of, of conflict in your life, the absence of fear in your life does not mean you have peace. In the Bible, peace means there is something in its place. Philippians chapter 4 gives us a great description of what that thing is in its place. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 through 9 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's anything excellent and if anything worthy of praise, 
Dwell on these things. Now listen to what verse 9 says. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. So Paul says, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. This is a promise of God, by the way. This is a promise of God. You understand that part of the normative Christian experience involves righteousness and truth. Now listen to me. When the parts of righteousness and truth are extracted from the whole of who you are, the Bible says peace cannot exist. In other words, peace cannot be separated from righteousness. Peace cannot be separated from righteousness. You cannot expect to live in harmony with other people if you're in conflict with God. Do you understand that principle this morning? Listen, you're not complete when there are parts of your life that are mixed with things, listen, that will create conflict in the world. You're not whole when your life is mixed with parts of of life that that create conflict in the world. What are those things? Well, there are five primary enemies to peace. Greed, ambition, envy, anger, pride. If you're obsessed with wealth, if you're obsessed with acceptance, if you're obsessed with your body, Jesus says righteousness and truth are, 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 are part of the Christian experience. When you begin to separate righteousness and truth, then peace cannot exist. Paul explains in Romans chapter 14, the nature, this nature of God's kingdom. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace. Do you understand that? They go together but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, the Word of God is a great peace giver. The Word of God is a great peace giver. The Word of God will never win Nobel Peace Prizes. But I can promise you this. The Word of God has brought more peace than every Nobel Peace Prize winner combined. You understand that there are people all around us every single day, in your neighborhood, in our city, in our state, around our country, around the world. There are people all around us that are experiencing trouble in their life. People all around us popping pills in record numbers, medicine tells us. Trying to find peace. Peace is not packaged in pills, by the way. Listen to what the Bible says. Peace is an elusive thing to, to nations. Peace is an elusive thing to individuals. People desperately want peace, but they don't have it. But they don't have it. And part of the reason for not having peace is that they, like Israel of old, you know the story of, 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 of the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. We see over and over and over. This persistent wandering in the desert is a, is a, um, is, is a cause, is a result of their constant rebellion against God. I believe they just obeyed what God said. This time in the desert would not have been as long. Try as you may. You cannot have true peace when you disobey the commands of God. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said a genuine Christian dreads sin. He will not say, is is it not a little one? For he knows that a little sin is like a small dose of a very potent poison. It is sufficient, listen to what he says, to destroy our peace and comfort. 
Sin injures your faith, destroys your enjoyment, withers up your peace, weakens you in prayer, and prevents your example being beneficial to others. Erwin Lutzer, the great pastor and radio communicator, I can just listen, I can just hear his booming voice in this quote. He says, emotional peace and calm come after doing God's will and not before. Paul in Romans chapter 8 describes how this peace is associated with our, with our, our daily sanctification. What do you mean by sanctification? Uh, basically, it's a big word that in essence means becoming more like Christ. And so Paul describes how peace and becoming more like Christ are intertwined. And as believers, we walk in the Spirit. We're controlled by the Spirit. We habitually make choices that hit God's mark and thus please God. Listen to what he says in Romans 8. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. There it is again. Listen, for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. One theologian said, a conscious possession of the divine favor. What is the divine favor? It's grace. A conscious possession, a conscious awareness a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, conscious possession of grace can alone create and sustain mental tranquility. Very simply, when we don't have peace, very often it's because somewhere in our lives we are not resting in God's grace. Somewhere in our lives we're not resting in God's grace. For a believer this morning, listen to me, Peace is not the absence of danger or conflict. It's the presence of God. Some of you have a hard time believing that this morning and believing it can be found in somewhere else. I just want to beg you to try the presence of God in its place. For a believer, it's not the absence of danger or conflict. It's the presence of God. In other words, peace exists when the presence of God is tangible in our lives. In 2013 and 14, we were finishing up almost 14 years of youth ministry. I remember when God called me to ministry when I was 21 years old. I loved students, and I I just had a passion to see students come to faith in Christ and grow in Christ, and I wanted to see them change the world. And so when God called me to ministry, I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But I soon realized every youth pastor has a shelf life, and I couldn't do it for my whole life. I couldn't keep up the pace that I used to. But I still had a passion. I thought, you know what? When, when youth ministry is over, I'll just be done with youth ministry. It wasn't a stepping stone for me. I had people in my life, even family members, who would say to me, hey, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to be a pastor, right? When are you going to step up and be something besides a youth pastor? For me, it wasn't a step up for me. I didn't want to be something else. I just wanted to be a youth pastor. And I thought, when God's done with that, I'll go do something different. I'll sell real estate. I'll do anything else. I just didn't want to be a pastor. I just wanted to be a youth pastor. And then in 2014, God begins to, 2013, God begins to stir mine and my wife's hearts and emotions for what we believed was church planting and ultimately becoming a pastor. And and part of my story and the reason why I'm here is because for eight months we wrestled with this idea. I tell the story often. I frequently would wake up every single morning, in fact, and the first thought on my mind was plant a church. And I would literally say to God, sometimes out loud, sometimes in my mind, thank you, God, but no thank you. I just want to be a youth pastor. This is all. I don't want to be a pastor. I just want to be a youth pastor. Thank you, God, for the opportunity. I'm going to pass. No thank you. 
And my wife and I began to pray Exodus 33, 15, and 16. God tells Moses to go one more time. Moses has learned to trust the voice of God. When God speaks to Moses, Moses knows I can trust this voice. And in Exodus 33, 15, and 16, Moses says to God in a prayer, God, if your spirit does not lead us up from here, do not let me go either. In other words, I want to be where you want me to be, God. That's what we prayed for eight solid months. And honestly, in the back of our minds, we're playing, oh, please, God, just let it be right where we are. I'll just do anything but, 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 but be a pa- I just want to be a youth pastor. And eight months or seven months or six months is our hardest praying over Exodus 33, 15, and 16. This is all we can think about. Near the end of that eight months, near the end of that eight months, you know what God was doing? <laughs> he was massaging our heart until we finally said we can rest in what God is doing. This is what God is doing. We finally had peace. Why? Because the presence of God was so tangible to us, we knew this is what God had said. I didn't want to be a pastor eight months later into praying. It's all I could imagine doing. It's all I ever wanted to do was to pastor you when God changed my heart. He gave me peace. And that's what happens when the presence of God is tangible in our lives. He gives us peace when he's the most glorious person in our lives. The scripture refers to God as the God of peace. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Philippians 4, 9, whatever you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. John 14, 27, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. The implication is if you want peace to rule in your life, God must rule in your life. Christ must rule in your life. You don't find the peace that God offers apart from God himself. Can I say that again to some of you this morning who have never trusted your life to Jesus? I'm a pastor and I wouldn't do you any favors this morning if I didn't try to, try to help you hear the voice of God this morning. The peace that you desire, true peace, cannot be found apart from God himself. You'll never find the peace that you're looking for and that God offers, but he gives us his peace when he's the most glorious and wonderful thing in your life. Christian, when your life is lived to the glory of God, Christ alone, nothing else is more important in your life, then you can know the peace of God. Peace is not this this sacred feeling that we get when we come to church. It's not this, this, this feeling, this idea we get when we sing a song. Peace is the supernatural fruit of a heart that is set deep in God. Peace is, is this, this supernatural fruit that we get when we trust God and his word. Peace will rule your day when Christ rules your mind. Because peace comes not from the absence of trouble. It doesn't come from the absence of conflict. And it doesn't come from the absence of fear. Peace comes from the presence of God. Now, can I say to some of you who have been struggling for a long time, maybe you have peace with God. 
you're assured that God has saved you. You trusted God. And some of you are just honestly, have been wrestling maybe even for years with the peace of God. And you hear this message this morning and you wonder, yeah, but I don't know if that can really be true. Pastor Ray Ortland was a pastor here in California, brilliant man, brilliant theologian, has these encouraging words for you. Those of you who are skeptical as to the peace of God being present in your life. He encourages us to set no limits where God himself sets no limits. It is not possible to have too much grace and too much peace. We've not exhausted the possibilities. Most of us don't think in terms of the possibilities of what God can do for us. Some of us just think, well, God's withholding it from me. No, he's not. God wants, God wants life and life abundant for you. But the word of God greets us here with this open-ended encouragement. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. May they be multiplied to you. Do you know the God of peace is your Lord and Savior this morning? Do you know the God of peace is your Lord and Savior? The Apostle Paul says, Jesus is our peace. He was the whole, the complete human that we were made to be, but we failed to be. And now he gives his life to us as a gift. Listen to me. Outside of Christ, there is no peace. If you don't know Jesus this morning, outside of Christ, there is no peace. Only those in Christ know peace. I want to end with the story of Horatio Spafford, the great hymn writer. Maybe you've heard his song. Maybe you've heard his story. He'd just been financially ruined by the great Chicago fire in 1871. Not long after he was ruined financially in that fire, his wife and his four daughters were on a ship crossing the Atlantic, and all four of his daughters died when their ship collided head-on with another ship. Horatio Spafford's wife, Anna, sent the now-famous telegram that simply said, saved alone. Several weeks later, Spafford was on a ship that passed near the place where his daughters had died. And the Holy Spirit of God, he described, just overwhelmed and flooded his soul with what can only be described a supernatural peace. It's the peace of God. So with tears streaming down his face, thought of his daughters who had just passed, Horatio Spafford picked up a pen and he began to record his feelings and from his heart was filled with the peace of God, flowed the timeless words that speak of the peace that God provides even when our world is falling apart. These are the words that he wrote. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, he said, with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to close out here. I want to pray over us this morning. We're going to sing one more song. 
But I, I just have two questions as we close out this morning. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, can I just say it is not well with your soul. But God demonstrates his love towards you in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, not that you can be, ought to be, might be, but that you will be saved. This morning, I'm begging you. I'm begging you for it to be well with your soul, for the war with God to be over. Trust your sins to Jesus. Lay the weight of your soul on the cross of Jesus and allow him to declare you innocent for all time so that you can have peace with God. There's nothing magical or mystical about that this morning. There's nothing we make you say, make you stand on the stage, make you do anything you don't want to do. You simply need this moment with the Lord right there where you're seated. Acknowledge your sins before God and ask God to save you from your sins. Trust your sins to Jesus to declare you innocent, to give you peace with God. I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray that you would do that this morning. Secondly, those of you who have done that, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Maybe this morning there's parts of your life that are mixed with things in this world that bring conflict with God. The Bible calls what we need to do in this moment, repent. We need to turn from our sin, turn to Jesus, look into the eyes and the face of Jesus. We don't have to run from him, we run to him. He's the God of peace. Jesus is our peace. He's the God of peace peace, and he wants to give you peace this morning. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, as we reflect on these thoughts of peace, I know there's so many of us in our presence this morning who are struggling, wrestling with peace of God. God, I pray this morning that by the Spirit of the living God, you would remind them that you love them, and nothing can ever change that. They're your child, and nothing can ever change that. God, I pray in this auditorium, those who are struggling and wrestling with peace this morning would not run from you, but they would run to you, to the loving embrace of Jesus, the God of peace. In Jesus' name.